Welcome to another episode of Kiss My Mic. Our theme this month is Director's Cut to honor the amazing work of Philippine X filmmakers. Our guest today is Presley Paras. Presley is a film and music video director. He is the founder of Wild Ruffian, a production company based in Los Angeles. And his latest full-length indie feature, Bad Detectives, will be released later this month. So congrats on that, Presley, and welcome to the show. And thank you so much for doing this. Well, thank you, Mike. It's, it's really it's really great to be part of something larger than myself. And I think your podcast and, and your, your topic of issue is even more relevant than today. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Let me ask you about Bad Detectives. It's a film about two young women who inherit their grandfather's detective agency and, you know, who had to team up reluctantly to solve the murders. So tell us about the project, you know, how did it come about and what was the inspiration behind it? Well, Bad Detectives, uh, I'd come across my desk, I would say, probably like four years ago. And we shot it, I would say, it was a year ago after we got the script. Um, we, we pursued shooting it, but um, they were looking for a director and um, they had seen some of my previous work, such as Quad, um, which was part of a horror anthology for Hulu called uh, Fun Size Horror. And then they had seen a sample, uh, my short film, Buffalo and Trout. And that it wasn't completed at the time, but that also featured two female leads. And I think from there, it just sort of steamrolled into this uh, directing opportunity um, for the contrast films and and now it's here it's taking a little while but I'm, I'm happy that, that it's finally something that I can get off my chest no that's great and you mentioned two of your short film one was the buffalo and trout and the other one was quad so I actually saw the buffalo and and trout short film that you did so let me ask you a question how would you describe your style or your genre well, I think, uh, Mike, you could probably testify to this, but I definitely have a darker sensibility. And I, I had a great childhood. So for the record, I was not killing any sort of animals at a young age. There's there's nothing to worry about. Pretty stable. But yeah, I, I definitely have a darker aesthetic, I would say. And, and I think it, you know, it teeters in the genre world, which I think allows itself that opportunity to you know focus on that sort of work but yeah i would say it's not that i want to compare myself to, to filmmakers but there's probably like a, a george r miller element in there with some fincher but you know i think i just at the end of the day i just try to do things that i could watch over and over again and i think i i sort of land in this realm the buffalo and trout is very visual is that something people would expect from Bad detectives as well, or, or another way to put it is, you know, how different would this new feature be from your previous work, which is a short film? I think you hit it on the head. Uh, it's it's very similar in sort of uh, aesthetics. I mean, there it's contrasty. Does the visual aesthetic carry over from Buffalo and Trout over to Bad Detectives? And it most certainly does. Um, and and I made sure before I agreed to the project that I was allowed an opportunity to, to carry that aesthetic over because I think the visual is, is very important. It's it's part of you know, my line, a professional line of work. You know, I, I, I'm a 
shooter by trade and, and you know, I got my start in the industry within cameras. So ensuring that a project looks great is important. And, um, you know, definitely, you know, I definitely lean on the con, you know, the contrasting elements of the visual as well as, you know, the highlights and making sure the midtones align with, with all that. So, you know, it's, it's, it carries over. That's definitely, it's definitely bright, but also dark. And, you know, I try to make sure that, you know, every shot counts because uh, I learned on 16 millimeter film. So I think to me, how it looks and, and having thought behind a shot is, is absolutely important. Yeah, because even in the Buffalo and Stroud, right, you know, there are some scenes where it's actually really fast. And then all of a sudden, there is this almost psychedelic, you know, scene that slows down a little bit with music and all that. I would say maybe would that be something you would consider part of your style? Yeah, absolutely. And you nailed it on the head earlier that, you know, the the music video aspect is very much part of my repertoire. And so, you know, film is, is, I believe, the most collaborative art form there is. We're dealing everything from visual to sound to performance, editing. Most art is sort of, you know, solitary, but with making movies, I mean, you you have to have uh, that connection. And I think sound and music are, is an absolute essential part of, of making movies. Absolutely. And you're right. The collaboration aspect, you know, it takes a village to really get, you know, things done and accomplish it. Because the, the credits, when I saw the credits, you know, there's like a lot of people, you know, which is amazing. I mean, yeah, you had nailed it on the head. It, it really does take a village. And I think a village of people who are willing and skilled to really you, you know, turn a project into what it's supposed to, you know, I do mean it. Like I think the crew and everyone involved, like I, I could, I do all of it. Sure. But it wouldn't look as good and wouldn't, and it would, and I'd have a Terrence Malick type schedule where you wouldn't see it for 10 years. So you mentioned your music video background, but tell us a little bit more about your journey. Like how did you get started in this field? So I think I took, a, I think like most people, I have an unconventional path to, to working in the industry. I, I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. And I think, you know, at that time, it was just never a believable thing to make movies. They'd be like, you're making movies. Okay. You know, do you believe in Santa Claus? And that was sort of the mindset that we had. So I ended up going to school for advertising. Um, and I did that intentionally because I thought, well, okay, there's there's a business part of it, but also a creative part of it and, and that I could pursue that. So I worked for an ad agency. After I graduated school, I worked for an ad agency for three and a half years. And it was literally one of the worst experiences in my life. I met some amazing people along the way. I, I learned some valuable skills, but I definitely didn't want to do it. And I guess the greatest benefit of having worked at an ad agency and, and a job that you despise it forces you to really like evaluate what is most important to you, or at least evaluate an important part of your life. And I was like, listen, I don't want to start a new career every three years. So what is it that I really want to do? And I definitely did some soul searching, but I didn't have to dig that deep. It was already there. I was, I was making movies when I was younger with my brothers. So it was always there. And I finally just decided to act upon it, despite the sort of social stigmas and of whatnot. And I know as, you know, being Asian American, especially with your family, it's, it's a challenge to convince them that, hey, this isn't a viable career opportunity. But, you know, at the end, they supported it. They knew how much I hated working at the SAD agency. And so 
I literally transitioned from advertising to an intern for a production company. No, but that's good. I mean, actually, because you're following your passion and, you know, it sounds like there's already a thought in you from the very you know beginning, like when you were younger with your brother. So talk to us a little bit about that. Like, what were some of the early, I guess, influences in terms of movies or actors that made you become interested at that point? Well, I think like my generation, I mean, it was action movies and it was James Cameron. I mean, Spielberg, uh, you know, one of my favorite influences, Michael Mann. And I think we just, you know, movies, you know, I have three other brothers, so total four brothers. So oftentimes my mom had to work two or three jobs and she was a single mother. And so we had a lot of time with each other and we ended up watching a lot of the, a lot of these movies. And I think for me, even though I don't make those types of movies, what they served as was, was a catalyst for escape, but you know, commentary as well. And, and I think like for, you know, for example, it's like, uh, uh, you know, Michael Mann, the movie last and Mohicans. I mean, you know, I was watching it as a kid. It was so powerful, and and it was the first glimpse into a whole other world. But you know, the importance of family and faith and loyalty, and, and to me, I think it started off as a form of escape, but transcended into some you know inner dialogue with myself. So I think those movies, like I enjoy the action movies, but if the action movies had a message behind it, or if there was like in addition to entertaining, I think I gravi- ultimately gravitated you know, towards those types of movies and and not necessarily like genres. And then eventually after you quit your advertising job, so that's when you started your career. Tell me about your experience. So you made the jump, right? How was like the first, you know, the first month of being an intern? Like, you know, talk to us a little bit about that stage in your life, Presley. Well, first of all, congratulations to you, Mike, for, for, you know, taking that leap of faith and you know, participating in all those projects. And, you know, that in itself is a win. And I think anything beyond that's a bonus, whether it takes off or not, or goes somewhere. I mean, that's the bonus to it all. But regarding your question, it was a stark contrast, I, I will admit, going from having, you know, I was a media manager, and it's a different variation, not not the production version of it, but I was a media manager. So I, I had three assistants. And going from that to grabbing coffee it was huge. It was, it was, it was huge. And and I truly had to relearn some law skills. I had to learn some new skills and I had to downplay other skills that, that, that kept me going at that agency for three years. So it was, it was an absolute shock and an absolute learning experience. And, you know, I wasn't, I was not confident in many aspects, but I knew I was making the right decision. So when did the directing type of work, when did it start and how? It's so interesting because I think I've always known that I wanted to direct, but it's one of those things that I think you deny yourself that for a variety of reasons. Some of it's personal, some of it's social. And in my case, I denied it because I was like, okay, what I wanted to do as a kid is a little bit, perhaps is a little different. So, you know, I made sure just to work my way up for the first couple of years, just to be a, you know an intern and then eventually just get a job. I was like, I got to get paid. And it wasn't that much. It was $125 a day. It was, it was horrible living, living in LA. 
but it gave me an opportunity to connect with a lot of people and uh, see the landscape for what it is. And I remember Jay Leno, if I were to quote him, and this isn't exact, but this is more in context. He said it takes about three years for people to kind of see the landscape and, and what LA is about and what the industry is about. And so I made sure not to commit to anything in particular for the first two to three years and just really sort of absorb and, and observe um, the scene and the scenario. And I remember I tried getting into development first a little bit because uh, I was doing a lot of like script reading and whatnot. But there was a point where, you know, I think people are like, hey, just direct and do that now. But I realized that, you know, my circumstances prevented me from just jumping in and pursuing that wholeheartedly. Like, I just had to make money. So before I even got into directing, I made sure to, to once I, I could move in from an office production assistant into a camera assistant. And then I think within the first couple of years, I started doing just low budget music videos. And I was definitely doing, I'm going above and beyond because I knew that at least I had something to fall back on as far as like, okay, I, I'm making my living in camera, but at least I can pursue the directing on the side and, and learn. And I made sure to actively make an effort to learn and take steps and really not to fail on the larger scale, but fail over small, you know, smaller projects over a period of time. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, in terms of kind of managing the, I guess the risk as well, you know, the, the circumstances. That's great. Actually, you even gave a pretty good picture of, you know, like the three years, for instance, you know, the knowing the landscape and even your progression to get into directing, you know, starting as an intern and then doing some office work and production assistant and camera assistant. Is that something you would describe as a typical path if somebody is interested in, you know, going that path as well of becoming a director? I mean, it's so interesting because there is no true path to, to being a director. And, you know, unlike many professions, it's like, you know, you have a mentor and then this is your assistant. And eventually when your mentor dies or something, you know, the the assistant then becomes sort of the mentor. And then he, then he, he picks up his, you know, picks a Padawan. But, you know, I would say this as a director, and I think the landscape has certainly changed. 20 years ago, it's like you used to just be able to be like, there used to be a studio system that fostered growth and uh, director growth. And I think now it's almost like you have to make a project to prove yourself. And it's all about, you know, maybe this is the Asian in me, but it's all about mitigating risk, right? Like, sure, you, you know, I've, I've heard stories of friends that their first feature, they you know, had $750,000. And that was the end of their directing career. And like, I could understand, you know, you had all this on the line, you had all the resources, and it was this complete disaster of a movie. And for me, I knew risk not only comes in the form of financing, but it, it also comes in the form of like, in the form of like personal confidence and growth. And so you can actually stunt that where if you completely ignore the risk. And so I think it's important for people like, you know, if they want to pursue directing is pursue it in steps, pursue it where you can handle some of the risk, but it really just starts with creating your own project first, whatever that may be, and then keep creating from then. That sounds good. Maybe there's a potential mentee out there who's listening, Presley, who, you know, might be inspired by what you're saying and, you know, might start sending you emails, you know, like, hey. 
Well, yeah, I don't know how good of a mentor I'd be. You know, I, it, that involves having a you know couple cocktails at the bar with me, and then you know having larger life discussions. I mean, the non-sexy answer is really just creating, like, especially you know, unless if, if you don't come from a, a big university or some sort of program. I mean, the answer simple, make your own stuff. Don't ask for permission, just make it. Absolutely. Yeah, let's just go for it. No, it's just great advice, really. The best way to learn as well. So one other craft question, Presley, you know, with regard to the directing. So I guess the question is why directing and not other areas like acting, for instance? You know, have you ever considered doing all those things as well, acting, editing? and I've been told that I uh, have the face for radio. So I don't know if acting is necessarily in my cards. Um, I'm kidding. I, I'd like to consider a moderately average with, with looks. But no, I think, you know, I never felt compelled. It's not to say that you, you can't do it to be an actor, director, director, actor, or, you know, or be, you know, a Mark Duplass of sorts. For me, it's just, I just never felt compelled to be in front of a camera. And and to be quite honest, I hate my photos, you know, photos. I, I never liked celebrating birthday parties. Like I never liked the attention to be about me. So it was pretty easy to determine that I'm fine with being behind the camera and being part of the creative process. That was the most important thing, just as long as I can help create and be part of it. And I think that's why I landed in cameras and that, that provided an opportunity to get close to that. And then, but ultimately it's like directing, I think sort of helped, you know, helps uh, help guide that ship a little bit more. You know, it's about really knowing yourself, you know, in terms of what you want. You're right. I mean, with what you've said, right? Like for people who do not like the attention so much, this is one of the best ways to really pursue the creative path is to be behind the scenes. So that's great that you're doing that. Um, so I do want to pivot a little bit, Presley, into a different questioning. And you mentioned this already, you know, being Asian, being Filipino. So tell me the risk factor you talked about earlier, just being able to mitigate the risks. But how else did your Filipino background or Asian background come to play as you pursued that path in the industry? When I first started my career in cameras, I was literally the only brown dude in the camera department, like brown person. And that's not to say that, I mean, those people gave me a chance, obviously. So it wasn't necessarily one of prejudice and whatnot, but I did have to understand their world and their culture and their dynamic. And even though I grew up a Filipino American and Asian American, there was still a protocol that one had to follow. And I found myself having to play the model minority during my growth. And and it wasn't for every department and every crew. There were times when I felt completely open to be myself with other departments. But I found that other departments did not like me having an opinion and they just liked me being this subservient workhorse and and I knew I was like well okay you know if I want to continue working with them and continue making a living I had to go along with it so I think for the majority of my career I definitely had to wear very customized masks in order to continue making a living but it wasn't like that for everyone but it certainly is a lot more open now I think than than it was like 10 years ago in what ways is it better, like, you know, in terms of your experience or your thoughts? Well, I think you're seeing a lot more diversity. 
right? And at least for me, I'm seeing a lot more diversity, a lot more opportunity. And I think another thing too is that we're not giving credit for is that you know, a lot of white Americans are very open to this. I think we've come to this, you know, world of just, you know, shifting it on and, you know, we're totally one-sided, but the other side is totally open to it. And I think some, it's easy to paint one side of the story. And I think we are seeing more of those opportunities. And I think it is important to see the growth and, and it is happening and it is happening slowly, but surely. But at the end of the day, you know, we can change how the crew looks like. But ultimately, it really comes down to the decision makers. And I think that's where the focus really needs to take place is, is are the producers and the people making the larger decisions to be inclusive, because it's only happening on the crew side of things, or at least on the projects that I'm seeing. Um, I found that I think smaller crews are, are having more success with it, while larger crews are still sort of stuck in their way. I heard a statistic, but don't quote me on the specifics of that. So what do you think needs to change there? Like, you know, in that scenario where the big decision makers are still behind <laughs> in terms of getting on board with really just being more inclusive and, and showing more diversity. I think like your question is, is like, what do we, what needs to be done, right? To sort of include more diverse, you know, decision makers. And I think I really do believe it does not come in the form of government. I don't think when a government says hire more people of this that you have lasting effects. I think you see some changes and you can make some movement there. I really think it starts with communities such as yourself doing this, exactly this, creating communities and starting from there and building there. And I think when we built it, we can show them and be like, listen, people want to hear these types of stories. We can go to the decision makers and present that. And I think things will start shifting. I do think it does take time though but the key is that these smaller pockets of communities are are really, I think, the catalysts for change. Yeah, absolutely. And also the work that you do too, right? You know, you're representing. Are there themes in your work that tackle some of the social issues like race, for instance? I think if I recall, it was the short film that had some white supremacists, Buffalo and Trout. So in terms of your upcoming feature... You know, talk to us a little bit more about that. I do want to go back to to that topic, just to to talk a little bit about your thought process in terms of how, um, you know, the project got made and what were some of the overarching mission from a, I guess, creative standpoint and also from a social standpoint. It does deal with race. When when I looked at Bad Detective, when I got the rough cut, it was rough the script and. There was, but you know, the writer Chris was very open to changes, and he knew he's like, listen, I, you know, he wanted to bring in a director that was willing to make changes and accommodations, and you know, the thing that one of the major attractions about Bad Detectives to me was half the cast was Chinese American, half the characters were Chinese American, and and that was really important for me to be part of, and that excited to me. Be like, this is already a very visually interesting movie. Because since the play, uh, the story takes place in Chinatown, or the majority of it does, that was a huge part of why I ultimately agreed to work on it and help Len, you know, get the script in the place that it needed to be. Because I feel like Asian Americans, like I was very keen on doing something with Asian Americans, but not having them feel like a trope or some sort of like plot device. Like you, you know, it's like you look at Asian Americans and they're either an owner of a liquor store or a woman is some sort of like sex object. And, and that always bothered me. I'm like, why can't they just be a regular guy 
eating at, at a cafe, having a conversation. It always had to be some sort of trope. And, and you know, I can say that bad detectives, I had successfully found a story where half the cast is, is Asian Americans, but it doesn't feel like you're watching an international movie or you're highlighting the fact that they're Chinese American. You feel like you're watching a movie and I succeeded in making it feel that way. Absolutely. And that's part of the representation that we need as well as to show those stories, right? That show a different side of being Asian, you know, being Asian American. So I think that's great that you've done it. So in terms of the film, where can people watch it? I mean, I know it's coming up pretty soon, but how can people support you? Well, I, the, the movie's coming out June 22nd. It's going to be distributed through Beauty Pictures and Mill Creek Entertainment. And it's, it's going to be available on all the major digital platforms like Apple, Amazon, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so, and you can get that information. You know, there's a Bad Detectives movie page on Facebook and on Instagram. You know, there's that Bad Detectives. So people can definitely find out that information and get those updates on you know, when the movie, and specifically where it's going to be released. Aside from Bad Detectives, are there any upcoming projects that you can share at this point, Presley, in terms of how people can support you, you know, as a film director? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I think Buffalo and Trout was was definitely a su- surprise success, and, and it's nearing its uh, festival run. It's had an opportunity to be in some of the top genre festivals like Film Quest and you know Beyond Fest and, and a couple other and, and Nightmares Film Fest and Panic Fest, it's already you know has a, a little audience and you can certainly you know find um, you know on Facebook we have a page for updates on that and right now it's being built into a feature length film and I am guiding the heroines to be more you know, closer to your skin color. So we'll get the backstory behind the character. So yeah, absolutely. And it's Filipinos, you know, meets Bonnie and Clyde. Like it's going to be a fun, wild ride. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I can't wait to find out more. But you also mentioned this uh, earlier. It has uh, been featured in some festivals. So it has some following and there's more in the works in terms of ideas to make it into a full feature. So let me talk about your idea of success. Presley. So what does success mean to you? I think success is finding something that you're happy doing every single day and you being in a decent place to to pursue that. Obviously, everyone's version of success is different, but I don't think it's necessarily married to money entirely. And But it also can't be entirely married to passion either. Like You have to make a living. So it's finding a place where you can make a decent living, but still pursue what it is you want to do. And that to me is success. That's a great answer. It's the right balance between the two because both factors are important. So let me switch into a different kind of questioning again, um, Presley. So let's ask some fun questions. What about uh, dream collaboration? I would love to work with Keanu Reeves. Uh, He would be awesome to work with. Uh, Charlize Theron would be awesome as well. Um, I think those would be, you know, those are people I would love to absolutely work and collaborate with. And, and um, um, you know, I would it weirdly have loved to just hang out with Michael Mann too, speaking of someone that I referenced earlier, that, that would be very cool. Or even George R. Miller, that'd be, that'd be amazing. So yeah, those are some of the people that would be the dream. Maybe, maybe I'd be a little more successful then. Oh yeah. I mean, I heard that Keanu is really pretty, 
helpful and receptive. And he's actually in my book. So <laughs> let's see that happen, Presley. You know, your collab with uh, Keanu and Charlize, you know, like Mad Max, you know, it's an amazing film. Yeah, you know, I love I love Mad Max for your road. Um, no, and, and I think to build off Keanu, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Always Be My Maybe on Netflix. But that was like a last minute. My understanding is that was a last minute thing that Keanu agreed to. And, and he was such an amazing part of that project. And and I know he's totally open for it. Obviously, he's a busy man. He has a bunch of offers, you know, the world. And he helped produce the documentary that discussed, you know, film versus digital. I mean, we see Keanu in, in the sense of being an action hero, but he's, he's, he's such, such a you know, well-rounded filmmaker. Um, and same thing for Charlize. I mean, she's starting to produce and doing a bunch of things. And, and you know, I haven't met them, but, you know, their careers speak for themselves and the range they both show. Absolutely. What's your favorite Keanu movie? I'm going to go back to this. I mean, I think it's just The Matrix and, and that franchise. Like, I I mean, I love them in, you know, 47 Ronin. I mean, he's amazing in John Wick. I mean, Always Be My Maeve, you know, just, I mean, he's it's speed even, like, it's just, he's good, you know, it's uh, point break. I mean, they're all great, but I've just, you know, hone in on the Matrix. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I was expecting you to actually say that, the, the Matrix, just because of, you know, your interest in the action and crime. Like, for me, I would say, oh, I like him in, like, Sweet November or, like, you know, <laughs> things like that. But I did, I did like the, I did like the Matrix, so that's that's cool. So, what about Filipino movies? Are you caught up with kind of the Philippine cinema market? I mean, no. I mean, I'll be completely honest. That's a market that I'm still figuring out. That you know, I've recently started to learn and to, to learn about. I think this is the part where inclusion is important because at the end of the day, we're only being shown what we're being shown, and I think it is important to be inclusive and to look at, you know, other movies with other types of people. I, I mean, I, I didn't understand why there was a huge debate about Par- Parasite a couple of years ago about like, you know, well, they don't speak English. I'm like, well, a good movie is a good movie. Like it shouldn't really matter what language they're in. And, and I think the same goes for, you know, Filipino cinema and Filipino American cinema. It's great to see that there's more of them. I'm learning that in this industry, you see more of them coming out and creating and, and, and I would say the biggest thing is just being supportive that there, we're already facing an uphill battle. You know, I, I've just never understood creating another gateway when, when, when you don't share or, or you know, block someone or, 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 you know, talk poorly on, on someone's project. I mean, making a movie is hard. Like it's just a hard, long process, whether it's a short film or a feature film, it's difficult. So we have to be supportive, uh, especially when we're, we're a marginalized community in the filmmaking space. Absolutely. That's what we need to keep doing is just promoting and uplifting each other and really supporting, you know, so that there's viability as well in the future. So how do you feel about Filipinos representation or lack of in the industry? Oh, I definitely think there's a lack of Filipinos represented in, in the space. And it's a blessing as well as a curse to be categorized as an Asian American. Uh, and and maybe I'm one of the few people, but, you know, it's like Asian American. I mean, there's, I mean, we as Asian Americans can agree. There's just, we're just different. I mean, we have different set of rules and different set of cultural aesthetics that make us all different. And even though we're proud to be part of Asian Americans, I do believe that we as Filipino Americans do not get a lot of the attention. Um, 
I mean, it's like people reference, you know, Roscoe and, and Hook. You know, that's the last, you know, actor that we that's Filipino that sort of we paid attention to. And I know there's some upcoming actresses that are presenting themselves. I know Marvel, you know, has uh, a Filipina American as one of the characters, and and that's great. But if you look at it, the overall, it's still very marginalized, and and we just need more of that. Like we're sort of in a tough space because we're Asian, but we're also brown and. And that's something that it's not Mexican American cinema either. So it's we really have to find our own space. And I think tell it in the way that suits you best. Like you know, I know Phil, you know Filipino cinema has a grittier, more dramatic end, and and that makes sense. That's conducive to their environment. And if you're Filipino American here, if you want to make it about dancing and whatnot. Great. I mean, I mean, I land in sort of the genre, you know, thriller, maybe even on horror space, and I'm happy where it's going. I, I just want to tell entertaining, fun stories, and, and representation. I think can come in the form of addressing the topic directly, or sometimes just you doing the work and people seeing it. Like that goes a long way. No, you've actually covered a lot of interesting things. Anything else that you may want to expand on in terms of kind of the distinction that you see in terms of the market between here and there? Well, I think it go, the only thing that I would say is that we just have to constantly support each other. So whether it's just Filipino cinema or Filipino American cinema, I mean, in my mind, it's all the same thing. It's just, it's a variation of the genre. <laughs> and, it's just, and, and to create a further separation by attempting to drive a wedge doesn't help the inclusive cause of it all. So, um, you know, just bottom line, just don't be a hater, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's great answer. A great call to action to build solidarity and just support each other. And the other thing that you said too was, you know, with regard to Asian Americans, right? I mean, there's so much diversity too in terms of the stories that we can tell from, you know, an Asian American perspective. And there, in my in my view, I feel like there's a little bit of a renaissance as we are seeing Asian cast, you know, in lead roles. You know, we have Louis Tan in Mortal Kombat, Henry Golding, Simu Liu. You know, how how do you? What's your thought on that? Do you see that as well? And and what's your takeaway from that? Well, I think it's great, and that's why it just furthers, you know, the cause that that seeing others can inspire others and and i will tell you from a factual point of view you know david who is our casting director for bad detectives like we speak very openly and, and we have a really great relationship and, and a really great understanding and credit to david he was keen on, on, on making sure that the cast was authentically chinese american and not like you know one person's korean and one more you know one's chinese so and, and this is you know a, a white male helping to ensure consistency, and I loved it. And when we're having our co candid conversations, the big he's like, you know, the biggest challenge was was finding, you know, a lot of Asian American actors. There's just not a lot, and ones that are trained and great. And it was tough for him, and, and especially, you know, there was a lot of characters that that Chris wrote in that had to be cut down. But I think it, it is all helpful, and it's all go people are going to see. That that hey you know maybe I can be an actor too and I can pursue this, but it goes back to the balance thing that we were talking about. It can't. That's not the only way to pursue it. Like we can't force inclusion on the screen. 
we also have to pursue it ourselves as a community and that's just creating our own project. So I, I think it's approaching it on the multifaceted like aspect and not something that's just so, you know, singular and, and you know, finite. Like I think you have to approach it from a couple different fronts. Yeah, just beautiful. Presley, so one question. What's going to be your mark or like, you know, how do you want to be remembered by? You know, I'm past 28, so I can't do the James Dean thing. I can't die young um, and like a rock star. So I missed that boat. But I do, you know, that's, I, I think I would just want to be remembered as someone that just made dope movies, was a cool person, but, you know, really had a perspective on the type of projects he was taking on. And, you know, for me, I think that's how everyone should try living as is just live you know the yolo thing is, is is contrived but i think it's contrived for a reason and that you know it's really just about living your best life every single day and in my case it's living my best life by getting better at my craft every single day even if just a little bit and pursuing it on the side when i can and still being able to you know find a way to make a decent living so you know i think it's balance i think in terms of philosophy, it's having a concerted effort towards creating balance. I was just going to ask your, your, your kind of like Mark, you know, Mark in the world, you know, like 80 years from now, you know, people are watching press, lease movies, you know, how would you like to be remembered? You know, if I were to go 80 years from now, I, I'd love to have an Alfred Hitchcock type career. And, and not in a sense of, of being like the forefather, you know, one of the forefathers of cinema and whatnot. I'm talking about studying his techniques and utilizing them in cinema because a lot of the stuff is still relevant of what he's doing. A lot of things that he's doing is still, still topical today. And he worked on a wide variety of movies. Like we only hear about Psycho and, and um, you know, Birds and, and whatnot, but he made a bunch of movies and he helped guide cinema to where it's at. And, and there's a reason why they still study in film school and in other places. And so if my work can be used as a source of, of lessons and, and can still be carried over, because the content and some of the aesthetics are always going to change. It should change. That's society and life. But if some of the techniques are still used, that's the type of mark I'm going for. Yeah, that's great. Beautiful. One follow-up question. So we're now in 2020s, right? 2021. What are some of the changes you've seen in the industry? And what are some of the things you still expect to happen in the next couple of years? Well, the 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 one thing I'm seeing, and and I think every crew member and cast member can appreciate this, is is individual meals. Those are great. I love them. <laughs> Sometimes the family style can get a little sloppy, but I like I like the individual meal. It's a little more you can focus. You know, you can be specific. You know, I'm noticing that that I think productions, while they're being stressed out a little more with the, the parameters of COVID, I think they're being more mindful. And I think it's forcing productions to be more mindful of how you treat people. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's it's important that at the end of the day, we're just making movies and just making television shows like it, it doesn't have to co come at the expense of of being a, a decent human being and and i'm not saying like we we have to be frolicking and you know and, and 
an open field and you know with daisies in our hair like i'm not saying that either like i i, I do believe tough love and, and, and a tough environment can forge people into better people but there is a certain practices that back in the day are just you know complete eye rolls now and i'm and, and i think the pandemic has has sort of you know staved off that sort of treatment and it should and and you know people shouldn't be you know mistreated and there's forms of that you know someone saying hey you know presley you need to be better at this and this this but it's coming from a from a good place that's not a negative thing that's really a good uh, coming from a great place and i'm going to listen but if someone's like hey you are an asshole and that came from no particular reason that's unacceptable and so i think it for for the large part it is improving things and forcing productions to you know really look at the bigger picture Yep. So I guess speaking about that, what are some of the skills that you think can help directors become successful, aside from the ones that you've already mentioned? Yeah, I think it's, I'm being humble when I say this, like, I obviously have things that, that I can improve upon to work on my own craft and, and, and whatnot. But I, I do think it's letting go of hubris. I think the number one thing is ego and hubris. And I know we Filipinos suffer from that. If someone gives us a tough note and and uh, it's you know it's the end of the world. Let it go. Let it go. It, it, you got to recognize when some, right. You got to let it go if it's coming from a good place and it's and it's being delivered in a fashion where it wants to see the project excel. Let your ego go. Let the arrogance go. Let it go. That doesn't help you. And and I would say that's the largest thing is sometimes hearing a note can be make or break a scene. And it was from your actor, your cinematographer, or your producer. Listen. Now, granted, you have to learn what are good notes over, but that comes in time. That comes in, in time. So, but let the ego go. I think there's some things that can be done, like like it's you know like shot lists are going to change. It's just the nature of shoots. Like there's going to be a slight variation. Let that go. You know you don't you know it's. It's it's more about hey can the scene you know can the essence of the scene still be delivered so I would say that would be my biggest advice yeah that's pretty good advice it's applicable to everybody you know just being able to have that growth mindset that you know there are things to learn you know to improve upon so thanks for sharing that Presley what will be the thing that you're doing if you're not directing underwater basket weaving joking i'll be honest i'm probably having a cocktail if i'm not directing a nice i'd like a good old-fashioned cocktail one cube equal surface space rye simple syrup you know a little you know a little bit a uh, little bit of dressing and then we're good you know <laughs> so you will be relaxing okay that's good um so i guess that also goes you know without saying that when you're busy, then you are making films, making movies. So this is during your downtime. So um, Presley, one final question. Your advice to other young folks out there who are interested in becoming the next, you know, breakout director in, in film. I would say for the next generation director is, is find out what you're good at. And, and that's part partly in conjunction with letting go with with some of the hubris that that we have for ourselves. Directing is a tough and unpredictable path and I don't think it's a path for everyone. And you can do it and realize you don't want to do it and that's completely fine. It's okay. Like 
you'll have a better life when you can <laughs> swing into other things. Mm. And I think that's important where you are active in challenging your personal self um, and your views and being open to change and open to lessons because it, it can make your project better, but it could also make your life better. And and I say that because I've had friends that they direct, I'm like, go direct. And they direct something. They realize like, yeah, I just want to be a writer or yeah, I'm just happy producing. And then they have successful careers after that. And, and, and by successful, I mean like a living wage to continue doing what they're doing. And, and I think that's important. Like don't go all in. I think, younger filmmakers should absolutely take time and explore the path and see if it is something they want to do. Um, and, and cause I can say confidently, you know, versus the time I was making movies as kids to now it's like every project I complete, I just want to keep doing it more and more every single time. Um, and, and I didn't know what I was doing in the beginning. And that's part of just being, you know, younger and just kind of blind and young and impressionable and you go with it and it's like, oh, this is fun. This makes me feel good. But it's, it's not always entirely about feeling as well. It's, it's, about, it's about looking at the set of circumstances and, and finding, you know, fulfillment. So, yeah, I don't know if that was a very, that was a very broad answer. but It's pretty good. And that's actually um, part of our Presley Paras TEDx conference talk on <laughs> you know how to be how to succeed in filmmaking but with that Presley I really want to thank you for sharing the time for spending the time with me and you know for sharing your thoughts for sharing about your projects and I can't wait to hear more about your project and I hope that our listeners would get a chance to watch your film as well once it comes out so thank you Presley I wish you all the best and any last words that you wanted to share no, thank you, Mike. I think you're doing a wonderful thing. And thank you for, for having me. And thank you for inspiring our community to 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 be more inclusive and and to grow together and, and make our own, you know, make our own decisions. So thank you. Amazing. All right. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. 